Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Continuing a series that we've been that we're in called "You Asked for It," and basically what we're doing is the same thing Jesus did. Jesus would allow questions to be asked, and then he would base his entire sermons on those questions that people asked. So he would, he would answer them. So many philosophers did the same thing. Plato, and on the list goes on and on. Their students would ask questions, and they would teach. So. Around Easter this year, we took a survey and said, what are your questions? What would you like us to teach on? And so you ask a bunch of questions, and we took the top five most asked questions and built this series out of it. And so uh, we've been at really great places. How do I share my faith? Hey, I've been offended what, and hurt. What do I do now? And next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people and how do we have faith. But today, this was a, a question that uh, I was actually, I, I was uh, not so surprised because people ask. I was surprised by the number of people that ask it. And that question is, are we living in the end times or is this really the end? And the answer is yes. Everybody bow your heads. Let's pray and dismiss. I'm kidding. But some of you got excited a little bit like, oh, that was the shortest service ever. Awesome. <clears throat> no, so I understand why you're asking this question. Like, are we in the end times? Is this really the end? I get it. When you look at, at, at our 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 climate today and our, our news, and you're watching the same news that I'm watching. When you look at the news and you see all the terrible stuff that's going on, you see like the, the, the terrorists that are blowing themselves up. And, not, and they're not, here's what's terrifying to me about this is, is they're not really blowing up like, you know, political leaders and they're not like taking out army bases. They're just going into random places like an Ariana Grande concert and blowing themselves up and killing innocent people. You know, moms and kids and boyfriends that got dragged along to be there. They, they, they had no idea that that was going to be the end for them. It's terrifying to think that, that it, it could just be anywhere. It could be a random grocery store. It could be a gas. It could be anywhere that they do this. You're, you're looking at the same news I'm looking at, right? So no wonder you're asking, is, is this the end? This, it could possibly be, right? You're watching the, the, the uh, political horizon. You're watching the tension that's going on, people rioting in the streets. You're watching the racial tension play out. You're watching as people are fighting and killing and hurting and destroying each other. You're seeing it all, right? You're seeing all the moral decline. Of course you're asking, is this really the end? So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to do my best to tell you what the Bible says about the end times and to possibly answer this question, are we living in the last days? But for those of you that like numbers, let me just kind of start there and give you some statistics. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible actually speaks of the return of Christ or what we call the end times. 216 New Testament chapters speak to the return of Christ and the end times. 23 out of 27 of the New Testament books also talk about the end times and the return of Christ. 
And so this is a really important subject. Now, I don't have time to go through all that material today. I do have quite a bit of verses that I promise you, if you'll hang with me, we'll get through it, and you'll have a better understanding of, of what the end times looks like. But, but I will tell you, there's one book in the Bible that, that, that speaks specifically of not whether we're getting to the end of times, but actually what the end times looks, at, uh, looks like. And let me tell you, if you start seeing all that stuff unfold, it's a little too late for you, Ethel. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're at the end. It, it's done. You don't have to ask. All this stuff will be happening. And, uh, and, and, and you get into the book of Revelation, and that stuff starts playing out, buddy. That, that's it. And, uh, and I'd say you'd miss the first train out of here, too, by the way. But that's, that's another subject for another day. So <clears throat> even, even uh, Jesus' disciples asked this question. They, they ask about whether it was the end times. And so what everybody really wants to know, though, is not whether we're living in the end times. They really want to know what time is it. Like, all right, we know that there is an end to inside, but what time is it? And what they want to know is, where are we at on the clock? You know, like, like if, it's, if, if, 12 is the, if, if 12 o'clock is the end right here, where are we at on this clock? Are we, are we here? Because if we're here, well, then you feel like you've got plenty of time. You know how when you've got a project due and you've got plenty of time ahead of you, what do you do? You relax, you take it easy, you do as little as possible because you've got plenty of time. Yeah, that's right. But when the clock is here, well, you know if you have less time to get that project done or whatever it is, you know that you've got to hurry. You've got to get to work now, that all of your waking hours have got to be spent doing that thing. And so this is the real question people are asking. When they say, well, are we in the time, end times? They're really asking, what time is it now, right? And so I'm going to sit this right here so that you all stop freaking out. Because I can tell by your faces that you are so thrilled to be here today talking about the end times. Most times people are out there happy to be here in church. And you all are just sitting there like, good Lord, why did I choose this Sunday to come to church? It is nice outside. He here talking about the end times, dear Lord. Look, I, I promise you we'll, we'll, we'll get through this and, and you'll come out the other side well, equipped um, in a different way. But let me, let me kind of break the tension that I can tell that you're feeling right now. Let me tell you a joke. There's these uh, two pastors and they're right across the street from each other and one pastor puts up a sign. And as he's putting it up, <clears throat> he's putting up the sign. The other pastor's putting up the, his sign. The first pastor's sign says, the end is near. And the pastor across the street, he puts up his sign and it says, turn yourself around before it's too late. Just about that time, this, these, these people come riding by in their, in their sports car and they roll down their windows and they shout out obscenities at them and they say, you Jesus freaks, you bunch of weirdos, woo! And they flip a finger and they drive off. The next thing you know, you hear the squealing of tires and a loud splash and the pastor's came together in the middle of the street and looking out. He said, gee, you think we just should have said caution bridge out? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, no more laughing for the rest of this message, all right? That was your opportunity, your one opportunity. Now, but look, Jesus' disciples asked the same question, whether this was the end. In Matthew 24, 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which was Jesus' favorite place to sit, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Look, they wanted to know the time. So when's this going to happen? And they wanted to know what is it going to look like? So the time and the what. And as we read through Matthew 24, Jesus paints a picture of what he knows that the end times will look like. And he tells the what, but he never gives them the when. He doesn't tell them when it's going to happen. He says, this is what it's going to look like. So is this really the end? Well, the answer is, I don't know for sure. But I have to tell you, it certainly looks like it. It really looks like this is the end. There are so many prophecies and signs that the Bible describes to say, this is what the end of times will look like. And it, to me, when I look at, at our moral climate, when I look at our spiritual climate, when I look at the world, 
and all the signs and prophecies that were given, it sure looks like it's the end. Now, there's one caveat I'll say to that, is that every generation since Jesus was here has thought that the end of times would be in their generation. Even even Peter, the disciple, thought that it was going to be the end of times. He he thought he was living in the last days. In fact, I grew up at a church where we kind of we kind of gathered around this whole idea that Jesus could come at any moment. So we had what we call rapture practice in Sunday school. Anybody, anybody old school know what that's all about? Rapture practice is like we gather into the classroom and we'd always do it on New Year's Eve because for whatever reason, we all thought that Jesus was gonna come back at midnight when the clock turned over from 19 whatever to the next year, right? And so we'd be back in the back classroom just, just jumping, right? You know, and just, just practicing. I, I think it was to kind of get ourselves in the air a little bit to help Jesus as he took us up to heaven. But we were freaking out, especially that Y2K year. Anybody remember that? Lots of us were panicking then. We thought for sure Jesus was coming back, right? So every generation has thought that they were living in the end times. And and like I said, even Peter did. He he thought he was living in, in, that Jesus' second return would come when he was alive. But I would say that the reason I think the answer is yes, are we living in the end times now is because we have things going on in this generation that never happened before. Jesus says that, that one of the signs of the end is that the gospel will be preached to all the nations. And this nation's word is the Greek word ethnos, which doesn't necessarily mean a country. It means people groups. And so we have all these different people groups within inside each country. Every country has 100 to 1,000 different people groups. And he says these people will be reached with the gospel. And that is happening today. See, years ago, it used to be really expensive to do. Not only did you have to have the funds to go out and start a work, but you had to have the people who were committed to doing the work, to building a building and inviting local leaders there and then spending years training them to go out and preach the gospel and build other churches and make sure that the gospel spread. And then you'd have to provide literature for them and then for each one of their groups. It it was an expensive and, and long endeavor to translate even that material into their language. And so there was a lot of work, but today... Today, it's super easy to get a whole course of Bible college, videos and teachings. You don't even have to have anybody local. You can get it all on like a thumb drive. You don't need a building. They just need access to a computer. And they can get the education. They can get the training that they need on a little jump drive. it's, It's crazy to me that the gospel is being spread faster than ever in this generation. It's become even easier today because it's all digital. They can use it from this chip or if they have access to the internet. If they don't have access, there's so many remote areas that don't have access to the internet. But do you know what's happening now in this time like today? Y'all got to know the times. You got to know what's happening. I was in a movie theater a couple months back and an ad aired for Facebook. But it wasn't about Facebook itself and social media. It was what Facebook is doing. Facebook is one of the largest enterprises today, like on the map, period. And they are spending money investing in drones that are flying over remote areas of different countries where there is no internet. And you know what they're doing? They're beaming free Wi-Fi. That is their only purpose. The gospel will be spread into areas where it's never been accessible before. And all they have to have is access to the internet. It's happening in this generation. It never could have happened before. Another thing that, that, that's, that is possible today that was not possible for, before is the Bible records and says that there in the end times there will be two witnesses that will rise up. And these two witnesses will do miracles and have power to do crazy things. And the world is going to see them. But not only are they going to see them do what they do, but the whole world is going to see them executed publicly. 
Well, that wasn't possible, but satellite television and the fact that we all got smartphones in our pockets, I mean, even in remote ends of the country, in El Salvador, in Panama, in places where I've gone on mission trips, they don't have food, they don't have much clothing, and their house is a tin shack, but you know what they got? They got a smartphone and they got access to, to Facebook. And so the whole world will be able to witness or to see the, ex, the public execution of these two witnesses because of satellite and because of internet and because of social media and the news media. They're, you're just going to see it. It's now possible in this generation. These things that the Bible talks about, we can actually have it happen at any moment. It couldn't have happened in other generations. Now I'm going to come back to Matthew 24, but first let me kind of hang out in Peter. That's the two places I'm going to be today, Matthew 24 and in Peter. And in 2 Peter, Peter says there's a few things about the end times that we need to pay attention to. Check it out. He says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Basically, what you're going to have is people come along and say, if it feels good, do it. Don't tell me what that Bible says. Don't tell me how to live my life according to it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Don't, don't tell me how to live. It says, they will say, where is this coming, he promised, speaking about the coming of Christ. Because again, every generation since the apostle Peter, who was alive with Jesus, thought that the end times were imminent. They thought they were living in it. And so the people have said, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. What is he talking about? Peter's talking about the creation account, okay? This is in Genesis where we read that the spirit was, was fluttering on the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And all this happened, right? So this, this is what he's referring to. And he said, and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the flood. He's talking about Noah's ark and how, how all those people were so wicked that God said, I'm destroying everything on this earth except Noah's family and, all the, and two of each of these animals, right? And it says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. In other words, God destroyed the earth by water before, but he promised he'd never, ever do that again. That's how he gave us the rainbow in the sky. That's a sign of his promise. And he says, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, that's the day everybody wants to know when's that one going to happen, the day of destruction, right? That's the one we want to know. How much time do we have till we get to that day of destruction? He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, we have to push pause here real quick, because what, the, what is this saying? Well, I think, I think Peter was just being like extravagant by saying he, he's using a metaphor, He's not actually speaking in real terms. What he's doing is saying that, that a day to God is like a thousand years to us, and a thousand years to us is like a day to him. He's using a metaphor here to say, hey, God is so far outside of what we consider time. And yet there are Jewish scholars that think Peter was being like literal, that, 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 that a day to God is a thousand years to us. And so they have this, this idea or this theory. It's called the seven-day earth theory. They believe that the earth will exist for 7,000 years. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, hold on. If it's true, here's what it means for you. It means that in the Bible, we can see 4,000 years from the beginning of creation to Jesus. You counting with me? From Jesus to now is about 2,000 years. So if they believe that there's a 7,000-year-old earth and then the end will come, that means there's an extra 1,000 years there. And all of you just wiped the sweat off your brows and said, all right, that means that I got time. No, no, let me actually explain to you that the Bible talks about the last 1,000 years of that seven-day earth existence is when Jesus will reign. 
He'll, he'll reign, There's, they call it the millennium, where Jesus will reign on this earth. So what does that mean for you? Well, that doesn't mean you got all this time. If, if the seven-day earth theory is true, that means that we're right about there. Breathe in, breathe out, people. You'll be okay, all right? Here, let me just put it back there for you. But look, so, so I don't know if that theory is true. I, I, don't, I don't know if, there, if, if we are only going to be here 7,000 years. There's, there's people that want you to believe that. They want you to buy their books. They want you to... to, to, to speculate about when the end will come, and that's fine. I, I'm not really sure when, when that is going to happen, but here's what I do know. I do know this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Look, God's up there just watching. He's watching for how many people are going to say yes, for how many people are going to repent. And while God's watching, Jesus is just waiting like, hey, Dad, is it time to go? I want to go get my people. Is it time to go? No, it's not time to go. All right. He asked him again, hey, Dad, he's like that annoying kid in the back of the car seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Jesus is like, come on, Dad. Send me. Let's go. I'm ready. Place is ready. Let's go. Kid, let's go. That's how we know God is patient. Amen. <laughs> Got a son that is ready. They're watching and waiting. And they're waiting for more people to be saved. This is a clear picture of who God is and his love and his grace. He's waiting because he desires more people to be saved. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? It means like you won't know when he's going to come. You won't know. You see, if you knew when the thief was going to come, then he wouldn't rob you, right? But since you don't know when the thief is going to come, he gets you. Jesus is going to come. The day of the Lord, when he returns, it will be like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So, all right, this is intense stuff, right? It, it's intense. So what, what, is, what is this saying to us? I think there's a couple things that we can see from this passage, and I'll kind of lay them out for you. The first thing that we can see is that people will be distracted with life. They're, they're going to be distracted by the stuff that they're doing. The reason people aren't going to know that the, the end of times is upon them is because they're going to be so busy doing whatever it is that they're doing in life. They'll, they'll be distracted, following their own appetites, living life without concern for what time it actually is. You say, Pastor, that's not me, isn't it? Here's the test for you. How often do you think about earthly things versus how often you think about eternal things? What are the eternal things you think about? Do you think more about what's on this earth? What are you focused on? If you want to know what time it is, let me tell you what time it is. You're living in your last days. Whether it's actually end of days or not, you're living in your last days. In fact, the Bible says that our life is short, that tomorrow's not promised to any of us. In fact, in the book of James, it says our life is a mist that is here and gone. We're just a blip on the on the scale of eternity. We can't be enamored with the pleasures of this life and become distracted because it isn't about this life. We're just passing through and eternity is ahead of us. Now back to Matthew 24, Jesus said this. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so flashback to the days of Noah. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. What is Jesus saying? He's like, just like back then, 
they were busy doing other stuff and weren't paying attention and they're not even going to know what's happened until it's already happened to them. That Christ's second coming will have, been, will have happened and they'll have missed it. They'll have missed what we call the rapture. They'll be distracted by this life. So what, what do we take from this? Don't get distracted by life. Second thing we see from Peter's letter is that people will forget God. There will be a generation of people who will pull away from God. We're in a generation of people that is, that is, that is fed up with God, don't want anything to do with church, that questions all of it, that, that, and I'm fine with the questions, but they're, they're, they're pulled so far away from God, following after their own ways. Look, here, here's kind of why. As we look at generation after generation, we see this decline that is happening. In America alone, we have the generations uh, and, and some percentages here to consider. There, the builder generation, which is 1927 to 1945, they said of that generation, people born during that time period, that 65% of them were Bible-based believers. These guys followed Christ, 65% of them. In the next generation, the boomer generation, people born from 1946 to 1964, that even less considered themselves Christ followers. It was 35% of the people from 65 to 35. That's a 30% decrease. In the next generation, the buster generation from 1965 to 1983, this is my generation, it said that 16% of those are Christ followers, Bible-based Christ followers. And then we get to the next generation, the final generation that we're in right now, the Bridgers or the Millennials. And the Millennials were from 1984 until present. Statistically, they say that only 4% of millennials today are Bible-based followers of Christ. 4%. That number's staggering, isn't it? When you consider that it's been less than 100 years since we started measuring this from 1927 to today, 65% to 4% is a massive shift. That's why today's generation is such an important generation to reach. That's why we, we focus here as a church on them. That's why we got all the smoke and the lights, and some of y'all don't like that stuff. Like, I could do without the smoke and the lights, Aaron, and the loud music, but you know what? That's what's reaching this current generation. So those of you that are already Christ followers, do me a favor, build a bridge and get over it and just get on board, all right? I love you, but, but know that we're reaching a generation that is leaving Jesus behind in droves. And we got to reach them. That's why we have a student ministry. We don't, we don't do it here locally. We partner with C3 Church in Pickerington. They've got an incredible youth ministry there. And our kids go there and are blessed and are being equipped to learn how to follow Jesus in a generation and a time that you and I never faced. Our kids face atrocities that you and I, I'm going to call them atrocities that you and I never faced when we were in high school. We need to equip them. We love them, but why, why are we seeing these kind of trends in the United States? Matthew 24, 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, not some, not a few, the love of most will grow cold. That's a hard word. The love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. You, you say increase of wickedness, really? Oh, yeah, let me tell you. Here's just an, a, a little sliver of an example. You ready for it? Do you know what one of the number one watch shows is today? 
It, it, just, it breaks my heart because I know as a result of it, when I look at it, I understand that there's a generation that's crying out, but there's also just a group of people that just want to consume this kind of material because they've got, a, they've got an appetite and a palate for it. It's a little show called 13 Reasons Why. It's about a young, a, 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 a young person that wants to give their, or to not give their life, but end their life, and they give 13 reasons why they want to leave this world. You don't think the world's become wicked? People will be distracted. They'll forget God. And finally, Peter shows us in this passage that people will not be ready. They're just, they're just plain old not going to be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 24, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In other words, hey, if you're a Christ follower, you could be walking with somebody that you think is a Christ follower, but they're not. They're not ready. And you're going to go and they'll be left behind. Literally, he's talking like a physical absence of your presence. Some movies and stuff that you check out show that your clothes will be folded really neatly and laid down. I hope that's the case because I am so OCD. Like, I want to go in the rapture, Jesus, but fold up my clothes and leave them on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Zip, put my boots and everything real nice beside it, you know. Hopefully somebody that needs it can find it and can use it, you know. Just want to be a blessing to people on my way out. You can leave my underwear if you want to, but the rest of it you can have. Come on, somebody. (laughs) What time is it? That's what we want to know. You know, you don't need to know. You don't need to know what time it is. What you need to know is that you're living in your last days. And we need to keep watch. We need to be ready. And we need to spend our time wisely. First Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're like, Pastor, let's figure it all out. Let's look at all the signs and all the prophecies. And surely there's got to be a Bible code that tells us exactly when Jesus is going to come back. I love watching people get all tickled about this stuff because it's a lot of fun and they sell a lot of books and there's a lot of TV shows and conversations about when Jesus is going to come back. And I'm like, y'all have fun because I read the book. I read the Bible and it already tells me that don't nobody know. So why are you spinning? You're just spinning your wheels over there. That's fine. Go ahead and map it all out, but do it in pencil because you ain't going to have it. Okay. Spend your time doing that. I had, a, I, when I was a kid, 1988, a book was released, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. And when 1988 came and went, that man wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 89. And I think the 89th reason was because Jesus didn't come in 88. I don't know. So look, you can go ahead and do all that kind of stuff. It's fun. It, it, it's fun. People love forecasting the end. The 24th of Matthew 24, 36 says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even all the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. This is why I don't bother with it. I just know I need to be ready because it doesn't matter when it's actually going to happen. I just need to be ready. So forecasting is a lot of fun, but what's more important? What's, what's most important for us? Well, I'll tell you, you don't need to know what time it is. You just need to know what to do with the time you have. Oh, that was so good, I'm going to say it again, because maybe some of you will write it down. Maybe some of you will tweet it. Maybe some of you will think about it. You don't need to know what time it is. You need to know what to do with the time that you have. And the Bible is very vocal about that. It may not speak to when it's all going to happen. It may give us a picture of what it should look like when it's all going to happen. But what you for sure need to know is what to do with your time. 
So let, let's take a look at that. Don't get caught up in forecasting the last days. Be caught up in what you need to do. We need to be like one of the tribes of Israel. We talked about them. They said the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what they needed to do. We, I, my prayer is that we're wise like them. That we can understand the times and know what we need to do. Peter said this in, back in, in Peter. He said, the end of all things is near. He says, hey guys, guess what? It's all getting ready to end. And he was right for him. His time on this earth was getting ready to expire. And as we look at the rest of Peter's letter in response to, hey, it's all about ready to end, we can find four things. And this is not my opinion. This is just what the Bible says. So if you'll lock in with me, I'll close with these four things that the Bible says we ought to do in response to we don't, we don't know if this is the end of times, but we know it's our end of days. And this is what we need to do. The first thing Peter tells us that we need to do is that we should think clearly. We should think clearly. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled, not so that you can save up lots of money, not so you can go on that vacation you've always wanted to have, not so that you can raise the best family and go to the best schools, there's nothing about this life. So you can pray. Well, well, why? Because when we don't pray, we're so easily distracted. We're focusing on this reality. And you understand that this is not a real reality here. That we're just passing through. That the expanse of eternity is ahead of us. And here on this earth is just a blip. But we focus so much on this. We need to think clearly. And prayer brings us into the real reality. It brings us into a heavenly reality where we're focused on eternal things and not temporal things. Clear thinking, in other words, is thinking on the eternal. Do you know they say that 62% of people believe that Jesus is coming back someday, and yet 8% people of the, of, of the people live like he's actually going to return. That number, those numbers don't make sense. What am I saying? I'm saying people say, yeah, Jesus is coming back, but well, I guess I ain't doing nothing about it. Well, I'm not going to change my life because, I mean, he's, they live with that reality. They understand. They know that he's going to return, but they don't do anything about it. Well, that seems silly to me. They're not thinking clearly. Prayer helps with that. In fact, Philippians 3 says, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. This is Paul crying over this. Hear his lament, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they're saying, I'm a Christian, but they're not living like they are. He said, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. There it is. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies. What does that mean? It means all this stuff about us that is weak, the headaches that we get, the traffic that we complain about, the annoying neighbor that is bothering us, everything that makes you pick up the phone and go, pastor, let me tell you something, I need your prayer. He's gonna take all that and he's gonna change it all. He says he's gonna change our weak bodies into glorious bodies like his own using the same power 
with which he will bring everything under his control. What does that mean? It means that we should wear this life as a loose garment. We shouldn't get too attached to it. We don't need to because in a moment, in an instant, everything's going to change for us. We should be ready to shed this life. Don't let bitterness, don't let all the junk of the world attach to you. So keep one eye on eternity and one eye on the earth. Think clearly. The second thing that we should do, and this is, this is key, is I should focus on relationships. We should focus on relationships. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Look, it says love each other. It means get your people's stuff right. If you've got somebody underneath your skin, get them out from underneath your skin. Love them. Forgive them. Seek to be forgiven. Get your relationship stuff right. Why the focus on people? Why love people? Well, because the people are the only things that matter. You know why? Because they're the only thing we're going to see in heaven. Hello? Is this thing on? People's the only thing you're going to see in heaven. You're going to get there, and none of this stuff, this coffee mug that I like and I drink out of every Sunday morning, it's not going to be there. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. That's why we focus on people. We focus on relationships. They're the only things that matter in eternity. Everything else burns. So you live your life for people. That's why we do grow groups here. What, what are grow groups? Grow groups are our small groups of people that gather around different things. They gather around books they want to study. They gather around the message we preached on Sunday. They gather around activities that they like to do. And these groups of people gather together to pray for one another, encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, to learn how to become like Christ with one another. This is what we do. We prioritize relationships around here. That's why we have our grow groups. In fact, today... Today, you picked a good day to come to church because today launches the, the summer season, our six-week summer season of grow groups. That means you can still get involved. You can pull out your phone right now, and if you have the Simple Church app, click on grow groups and choose one right now. I won't even be mad at you. Go for it. But you can pull up our website, mysimplechurch.com. Click on a grow group. Get signed up. Be a part of prioritize people. When you get your relationships right, you get eternity right. I'll say that again. When you get your relationships right, you get eternity right because that's all that matters in eternity. That, that's what your focus ought to be. So get in a group. Get in a group. Focus on relationships. The next thing Peter tells us, the third thing, is that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. You know, God gifted you, wired you, created you with a very specific thing that he has for you to do. He's gifted all of you in very different ways. Some of you in a lot of different ways. He's given you lots of gifts. And he intends for you to use those gifts that he's placed inside of you to serve other people. To make a difference in other people's lives. The verse continues and says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, God has grace. He wants to give it to people, and you're his vehicle to deliver that grace. Do you understand? 
What does that mean for you? Practically, here's what it means. If you're good at tech, then you need to get onto our video team and you need to help them run a camera on Sunday morning or you need to go back and help them operate the lights or these slides or get involved some way in our tech department and serve with that gift that is inside of you to be a blessing to other people. If your gift is that you're really good with kids, then you need to get back into Simple Town Kids back here in our kids ministry and love on these kids and help them develop a relationship with Jesus that will change the trajectory of their life forever. Not only that, by loving on those kids, you also minister to the moms and dads who get an opportunity to sit in here and develop a relationship with God too. Come on, are you hearing me? God's put a gift inside of you and it's your responsibility to discover what that gift is and use it to give God's grace to people. It's to, to administer it in its various forms. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a pastor here that is building up a church of people and, and, and needs a bunch of people to sit in, in the seats to satisfy my heart. Do you know what would satisfy my heart? To know that you discovered your gifts and are using them to be a blessing and make a difference in people's lives. That's all I want for you. That's, that's, what, that's my greatest desire for you. The verse continues and says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If these are really the end times, what is Peter saying? That I should make a difference. Peter's saying that you should make a difference. And we need to make a difference because we're in the greatest generation now where we can make a difference. Do you know that in the last 20 years, our population has grown more than it ever has over the last 2,000 years? Do you know why that is? Because of technology and medicine. People are living longer. And our population has grown so much that over the last 20 years, more people have said yes to Jesus than they have in the last 2,000 years prior to it. Oh, maybe you didn't hear me because that's something to get excited about. More people have said yes to Jesus in the last 20 years than in the last 2,000. That's important to know. We need to do everything we can to make a difference. At Simple Church, let me tell you, one of the things that we do, uh, in addition to sending out and, and blessing missionaries financially and going on mission trips ourselves, because we want the gospel preached to every nation, every people group, is we're, we also help other churches get planted around this nation. We invest it, we send out money every month to two church planning organizations to help other church planners, just like me, get started and begin to bless a community and to begin to bless a generation and raise them up to love Jesus. We do that. In fact, you're here on a really great day because today of all days, we have a church from, uh, that is that called, it's called City of Love Columbus. Now they are being planted by our parent church, C3 Church, through the same network that planted us. And they're planting them and, and financially supporting them. But God sent me to them and said, hey, I think you need to come join us for the next three months and let me just love on you and pour into you. Let me help teach you how to plant a church at this level. Why don't you come and spend time with us and let me let us as a congregation pour into you. And so today is the first day that they're here. Pastor Phil and his team are in growth track right now. Yeah, come on, give God some, some praise for that. I'm so thankful you started clapping right then because I get to say this, but wait, there's more. Not only are we partnering with them to mentor them and to love them and bless them and send them out more equipped, but we've got another church that this church 
is actually planting. Say what? Say what? My friend pastors Claudio and Paula Penha are here today. Would you guys stand there in the back of the room today? Thanks, guys. And they are, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be launching. They're currently looking. I was out with them the other day. We were looking at buildings. They're, they're feeling right now, we're not sure, but they're, they're just putting out feelers down in that Bryce Road corridor down there just south of, of 70. But until God gives them a place, until he opens that door of where they're supposed to be because they're already meeting in your house, right? How many, how many people are already meeting in your house? How many say it out so he's got 30 people already meeting with him. And they want to launch out to be a blessing. Harmony Worship Church, is that right? Harmony Worship Church. And we're going to help plant them. We're going to fund them financially. We're going to pour into them and help them be as successful as they can, faster than we ever were, than we ever had the opportunity to be. Why? Because we need to do all we can. We need to do all we can. I want to get to heaven with my tongue hanging out, exhausted, ready to put myself up on a little cushy or a little cushy cloud. You know what I mean? And just chill with Jesus, like, bro, that was some tough. That was some stuff, wasn't it? Like, I want to do it. I want to live this life, doing all I can. So that's what we're doing here. But what about you? What are you doing to make an impact in eternity? You say, Aaron, I don't know what my gifts are. I'll tell you what. I've got just the thing for you. Growth track, you got it. Growth track happens every Sunday. Right now, that, that City of Love Columbus Church, I said, I want you all to go to growth track. They said, yes, sir, we'll be there. That's what they're doing. They're going through growth track right now. It happens every Sunday during the second service. You say, how do I get there? Do I need to sign up? Nope, you just go. There's four easy steps. I have four Sundays. If you'll give me four Sundays, I'll show you how God has uniquely wired you and created you to make a difference in this world. I'll show you, I'll help you, but you got to go. You got to make the commitment to go. I mean, it's there. Some of y'all are like, you know, Aaron, I, I don't know. I can't go to two services on Sunday morning. That's okay. I'm your pastor. I give you permission to skip church and to go over there and go be a part of growth track. Amen. You say, well, I got kids. We'll watch your kids for you. So Aaron, I need coffee. We got plenty of it. What else you got? What other excuses you holding on to? Let me just alleviate you of them right now. Go find out how you've been made to make a difference in this world. You can do it. You, you can do it. So what should we do since it's our last days? We should think clearly. We should focus on relationships. We should make a difference. The last thing Peter told us to do, and I'm closing, is since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. You say, wait a minute, Aaron, I thought I was supposed to spend eternity in heaven. Oh no, you're gonna spend a little bit of time in heaven. And then God's going to burn up this whole earth and remake it and it's going to be filled with his righteousness. What does that mean? It means no pain, no sickness, no tears, no worries. The Krispy Kreme hot sign will always be on in the Chipotle line short. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I saw this guy back here. He got up and did a little dance. Said, oh, Lord. He was snooping. Dun, 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 dun. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it 
He continues, and so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's good news. He's waiting on you. You can still be saved today. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. But you already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the, say it with me now, the grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All to glorify him both now and forever. So what's the last thing we need to do? 